Some of you probably know that I can be kind of a little bit of a health nut. You know, I like to exercise. I like to, um, you know, try to eat somewhat healthy, although occasionally I'll sneak in some not so healthy food. Um, but let me, I don't want you to raise your hands if this is you, but if this is you, you can maybe uh, do your eyebrows or go like that, right? Ever bought a gym membership? Okay, gym membership. So you paid all that money to go join the gym, usually in January, although on the mainland, some people do it around March or April because they're trying to get ready to go to the, their swimsuit body. But most people, it's around January 1st. They sign up, maybe go a couple times, and that's it. Maybe that's you. Maybe that wasn't you. Maybe you were more the person that you would watch those um, infomercials. My youngest daughter, Keiko, when she was really young, she loved infomercials. She would watch them all the time and tell us about the thing we needed to buy. But maybe you watch those. You watch like, oh, The Thigh Master with Suzanne Summers, Or you watch, you know, how you could have six-pack abs or get in shape. Or you looked at the latest um, mechanism, whatever it was. And you bought it and became a clothes hanger at your house, where you just put things on the treadmill because it was so nice to hang things on. But you never really used it, ever got much into it. You always meant to, and you bought the equipment. Maybe it wasn't equipment. Maybe it was some DVD that you were going to watch. That was You were going to do exercising, and you thought that's going to work, and all these things. And they don't happen. And that's because one of the things that's true that I've always found is the, if I'm trying to get stronger and I want to lift weights, the weights don't lift themselves, right? The treadmill, I can't just turn the treadmill on and sit back and watch it go and get in better shape. I actually have to do it. And some of you may have done this. I don't know if anybody's done this, but you actually said, okay, I know I'm too weak to do this. I'm going to get a personal trainer. A personal trainer will keep me you know, on track. And of course, the personal trainer who starts out as your best friend, first starts, first few sessions, love them, love her. But pretty soon, you start making excuses for not going to see your personal trainer. Pretty soon, you start to dread personal trainer. Pretty soon, you might even perhaps hate your personal trainer. Why? Because they're trying to hold you accountable. They're trying to help you get healthier, help you achieve your goals, and help you overcome those things in yourself that, that make excuses and you don't want to do it. We've been talking about being a healthy church. We've been talking about being a healthy church, and I think becoming a healthier church is very similar to trying to become healthier in your own life. We can buy all the books. We can go to conferences. We can, we can get all the programs and devices together to say, this will make us a healthier church if we'll just do this. And then we put them on our shelves and kind of ignore them. 
Or maybe we hear a sermon series like this and we hear it and we go, yes, that's the kind of church that I want. That's it. Now I'm going to sit down, drink my Diet Cola, and watch it happen. And then we might even start to resent those people who are trying to help the church be healthier. You might start looking at them and looking at them like that personal trainer that keeps reminding you not to eat that extra piece of cake or that entire cake. That they're just trying to change you and ruin all your fun. Well, I know this. Just like the weights won't lift themselves, healthier churches won't become healthier churches unless they do the things that help them to become healthier. And that means each one of us, and it means all of us. One thing I hope that you're seeing as, you, as, you go, as we're going through this series is that all of these things are connected, that each one kind of connects to the other, that some of them result from the others, some of, those are, some of them are required to make the others work. See, one thing I've figured out about my own health as I told you before, is that if I lose the reason that I'm doing it, or if I think that the reason I'm doing it is not as important as that entire bag of Oreos, then I'm going to get sidetracked. And so we have to be reminded of these reasons, and we have to connect these things so we see that it's, again, not magic. Yes, it is God's Spirit working in us, but we are still called to do things. And so if you, you know, look on the back of the notes and you can see all those words together and how all of these things are, are connected. We talked about a healthy church is a, is a church of living sacrifices, surrendered. The attitude is that we give all we have, all we are, all we'll ever be to God. We stop living in the past. We stop trying to control our future. We stop just remaining in the present. It's all God's. It's all for God to use. We stop idolizing our possessions, our programs, all of that. It's all God's. We become kind of an open book that we can become whatever God shapes us to be, what he wants us to be, to be surrendered. And for all of us, that's going to be different things that, that we want to hold on to. There's different things we, cannot just, we just can't conceive of. I remember when we started going to my, um, my sister's church when we lived with her on the mainland for a little while. And some of you might think that I became a backslidden Christian, but we would go to church on Saturday night. Can you believe that? crazy liberals. Saturday night, we'd go to church. Crazy. And you know what I still thought? Sunday morning, I got to go somewhere else, right? I went Saturday night, but I got to go to real church on Sunday. And it's because that time, that place had become something for me that it wasn't meant to be. Oh, sometimes it's a, it's a building, Sometimes it's what we call things, 
Uh, my mom was, she grew up, you know, she was, she became a Christian from the Baptist missionaries who came here, and, and she grew up, you know, very traditional Southern Baptist. And when the Sunday School Board changed its name to Lifeway, oh, didn't sit well with my mom. And later on, when we stopped doing church training at our church on Sunday evenings, you guys all remember that, who are older, a little older? Church training, Sunday evenings. Oh, man. She just believed that our church was, was going away from what it was meant to be. We hold on to programs. It says surrender. But see, if we give everything to God, as we talked about, that's not enough. We got to actually know what to do, and that's why we need to be a disciple to church. And I want you to keep this definition in your head. Discipleship is not just acquiring more information. If you leave this worship service, and if you listen to this message, and all you get is more information, that's not really discipleship. Discipleship is when that information meets the Spirit of God in your life, and you become more like Jesus that you leave this moment becoming more like Jesus. Those of you who are in uh, Sunday school this morning, the same thing. It's not enough just to give more information. Did you get more information that helped you become more like Jesus? If you did, that's discipleship. If you didn't, it's not bad thing. It's just not discipleship. If you come on Wednesday nights or you come to uh, Stacy's Bible study on Wednesday afternoon or uh, things that we do during the week on Monday nights and other, every other thing, if it's just more information, it's not helpful. It's not helpful in the way that, of being discipled. So if we, to, if we want to know what a surrendered life does, we need to be discipled so that we become more Christ-like. And in becoming more Christ-like, as we talked about last week, we get this characteristic of Christ, of being humble. And Paul defined humility for us, that humility means looking out for the interest of others above our own. That we don't come to church only thinking what I like and what I want and what I get out of it. But I'm actually praying and thinking and wondering how I can help others. What are they getting out of it? How are they being blessed? How, are, how can I be part of that blessing? It's a healthy church. But you'll never get there if you're not surrendered. And you'll never get there if you're not discipled and become more like Christ. Because otherwise, it's just kind of you kind of putting on an act. Oh, that Church Arise song. You know, I don't really like it, but I'll at least try to smile, right? It's just an act. But if I really think like, oh, people in this church, those words, that's describing who we are, what we need to be. I want to affirm that with others. I want to sing this song. Oh, I don't know this song. I'm going to learn this song. And again, we talk about music just simply because 
music is the thing we do together here, this public worship that we do together. But it can be so many other things in our church. Are we looking out for the interest of others? Or are we doing things that fit our schedule? Are we doing things that, that just are convenient for us, that, that meet our needs? Are we constantly thinking about the interests of others? So the healthy churches. And so if the church is to be this disciple-making, disciple-developing um, organization, organism, body, well, you can see who is most likely to be discipled. Who is most likely the one who wants to be more like Christ? Well, the one that's already a little bit along the road. The one who kind of gets it. Not all the way there, but realizes that there is a there to go to. Who's most likely to be humble? Well, it always goes back to the living sacrifice. The one who's completely surrendered. The one who's not holding on to the past or letting the future control them. It's all God's. Well, today we talk about this, this other characteristic of the church, and it's this word that gets thrown around in our society and our culture a lot. It's called, it's diversity. And unfortunately, in our society, the word diversity has become associated with, with certain you know, certain movements or certain groups, and, and it's kind of lost this, this, uh, this meaning that we find in Scripture. Because make no doubt, the Bible says we need to be diverse. We should be a diverse church. We should not be a church that increasingly becomes like one particular demographic. We shouldn't be dominated by one particular age group or one particular ethnicity or one particular socioeconomic class. We shouldn't be dominated by that. We should be diverse. I'm going to ask you, look around. Look around. Look at each other. Look around. Don't stare people in the eyes. It's kind of awkward and uncomfortable. But kind of look around and ask yourself, are we diverse? When you, th when you go to um, Kahalamaw, if you go to the beach, if you go to Ala Moana, you just walk around this neighborhood, does our church look like this neighborhood? Does our church look like this community? That's what it means to be diverse. It doesn't mean, oh, we should go get a quota. Oh, we don't have enough uh, Guamanians. You gotta go get five Guamanians. Somebody, please, go reach five Guamanians so we can say that we're, we're diverse. No. But we should be connecting with our community. We should be reflecting our community. And see, here's the problem. The world believes we should unite by celebrating the differences between us. I can kind of agree with that. But unfortunately, the world adds this, no matter what the differences are. Now, they don't really mean it. They, the world still says, within reason. But increasingly, the world says, 
We should celebrate the differences. And what they mean by that is we, we should allow people to do whatever they want, to live however they live, to be whatever they are, become whatever they want to become. That's what we should do. There's this, this ad that uh, Nike put out that in a weird way kind of captured what's really going on in our society and what's wrong with our society. And it's not even the, the person who's featured in it. Some of you wouldn't even know who he is. But it's the first three words. And the first three words say, believe in something. Not believe in truth, believe in goodness, believe in something, anything. Just find something to believe in. And then it says, be willing to sacrifice everything. That's the society we live in. Believe in something. Just find something to believe in anything. Just get a cause. Who cares what the cause is? Just get one. Don't search for truth too deeply. Just get enough truth that you feel passion and then act on your passion. Act so much that you're willing to sacrifice everything for something that you don't even know is true. It's the world we live in. It's our culture. It's our society. Let's celebrate differences. But let's not really pay too much attention to what the differences are. The Bible has a different attitude towards diversity. It celebrates diversity. But it also celebrates unity. But it's a unity that comes around the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so we continue looking at Romans 12. And as we've said, this is Paul shifting gears. He spent the first 11 chapters just telling us you know, what Christians believe, why they believe it, why this is good news, why this is the gospel, what comes through faith in Jesus Christ, that we can, have, we can be justified with God. We can be righteous before God because we have his righteousness. We have peace with God. We're no longer objects of his wrath. All of that's happened. And he says, because all that's happened, here's what should result. Here's how you should live. And so we've gone through this, starting in verse 1 of chapter 12, but we're down to verse 4 and 5. And he says there, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. The first thing we need to get in our heads is that the Bible does not teach unity for unity's sake. Unity is not the goal. It's not that we can all just get along and that we all just have peace, that we're not attacking or criticizing or judging or in any way looking at each other that we all just tolerate. That's really not what it's about. Because the Bible doesn't just talk about unity, and it does talk about unity. But the Bible never lets go of the idea that we serve a holy God. And because we serve a holy God, we are called to be holy as he is holy. 
Unfortunately, too many people have lost the idea of what it means to be holy. They've lost the idea. They think that holiness is somehow some list of ethics or morals, and that's a part of holiness. But it's not fully what holiness is. Holiness, when it applies to us, it's more than just that we're moral people or ethical people or that we look in the Bible and we find the do's and don'ts and we, the do, we do the do's and we don't do the don'ts. It's more than that. It's this idea that I hope in the three years I've been here you've gotten from me and I hope you had it way before I got here. That holiness means you have been set aside for a purpose. And the purpose is not to just live and die. It's not just to live and be as good as you can and die. The purpose is to advance God's kingdom. That's the purpose. But that's also been lost because we don't even know, we don't have a clear idea sometimes of what advancing God's kingdom means. Is it like making more churches, passing laws that go along with, with the Bible? Is that what advancing God's kingdom is? And I would challenge you that the answer is no. Surely not what it is. Advancing God's kingdom, that's our purpose. And we've been placed here in this particular place at the corner of 21st and Harding. We've been placed here for a purpose. And if we think our purpose is just to simply keep the doors open and to make sure the lights come on and to have a place where we can gather, if that's our purpose, tell me how that is advancing the kingdom. I can't tell you all the particulars of what advancing the kingdom is, but I can tell you a lot of the things that it is not. And it doesn't mean that gathering here is wrong. In fact, it is good, and it's an important part of the job that we're called to do. But it's not the job. Understand that. It's an important part of the job that we have to do, but it's not the job. You know, if my wife is going to make this incredible, you know, you know cake and, and all, and she tells me, um, you know, Matt, you know, I need eggs. Can you go to the store and get me eggs? And I go, sure. I go to the store, I buy some eggs. Later on that night, you guys are over at the house, we're having this cake, and everybody's like, oh, this is the most awesome cake ever. This is so great, so wonderful. And I'm like, yep, you know, I made it. Got the eggs. It's a very important part of the process. You guys would go like, well, you helped, but you really didn't do what you needed to do. You did something to help prepare, but you really didn't, really didn't make the cake. Wildlife Baptist Church, I think we're called more than just to go to the store and get eggs. I think we're called 
to make the cake. We're called to advance the kingdom. And advancing the kingdom cannot happen if the main way that we relate to this church is coming and sitting in this room. That is not what the church was ever intended to be. We're called to come together, living sacrifices, committed to God's word and discipleship and becoming more like Christ, in humility, looking out for the interests of others, and then, as one body, advancing the kingdom in this community. The next few weeks, we're going to talk about how do we do that? What does that look like? But I want to make sure you understand that the Bible does not teach unity for the sake of unity. In fact, if you look in verse 5, it says, So we, though many, are one body in Christ. In Christ. You want to know how crazy um, Bible scholars are, New Testament scholars are? There's a guy who wrote a book on that phrase, in Christ. That Paul uses that phrase throughout the New Testament, and he uses it in a very specific way. When he says, in Christ, whenever he's talking about in Christ, he's saying that you are on another level of existence. The rest of the world lives at the level of the world. When you are in Christ, you're at another level. And that level is one where all of us collectively know that dwelling within us is God's spirit that only came because we had faith in Jesus Christ. And it is his spirit that unites us. And when we're together and when we're apart, as long as we are in Christ, we are one body. And we look at each other differently from when we're in the world. We look at the world differently, not with anger or hatred or judgment, but we look at a world that's in such deep need, that is desperately looking for more and more answers, trying to find what love means, trying to find what peace means, trying to find what purpose means. We live in this world where people are, again, willing to believe in anything, anything, They just want something to believe in. You know, I didn't go to too many seventh and eighth grade dances. But you know, if you're sitting there at the seventh and eighth grade dance and it's usually like all the girls over there and all the boys over here. But let's say, you know, I was one of the guys next to, I could hear the girls talking. And they knew I could hear them talking. And they would say, man, if there was only some cool guy to dance with, I'd dance with him. I'd ask him. I would be the one. It's like, well, you know, I'm right here. I can hear you. I think that's sometimes how we, 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 we kind of are as the church. 
We're supposed to be the representatives of hope. We're supposed to be the ones that when people look at us, they look at what happens when the transforming power of Jesus Christ comes upon our lives and unites us in such a unique and supernatural and dynamic way. They look at us, but instead they're all looking around everywhere else. Oh, if only, if only there was truth somewhere. And some of these people are in your lives. They're your kids. They're your grandkids. They're your brothers, your sisters, your moms, your dads. They're your coworkers. They're our neighbors. And we're like that guy at the middle school dance. The girls can't, can't even see. Nobody sees us. Christian unity is found in being in Christ. That's why discipleship is so important. If we're, if we're going to be diverse, we need discipleship because we need to be humble. We need to look out for the interest of others. We cannot really have unity if we're only thinking of self-interest. Discipleship helps, helps us to set aside self-interest and find unity in Christ. Unity is found in our growing and our learning together. To not just be more like Christ individually, but to be more like Christ together. In any group, in any organization, there are, there are kind of three different kinds of people. There's the givers, and then there's the takers, and then there's the good, healthy people that both know how to give and take. To give and receive. And we all look down on the takers. We all look down on them. Because they're like, yeah, that person just sponges off everybody. When I taught summer school one year at one of the local public schools, I, I even created a name for those students that were just not trying to do any work, just copy off their friends. And the name was Sponges. And so we, we look at them, oh, those are sponges. The ones we don't look at, and we actually kind of praise and worship and we think are kind of cool, are the givers. The ones who only want to give, they never want to receive, they only want to give, they only want to do. The givers often can cause problems because givers often give not because they really want to help, they give because they have a need, maybe even a need they don't understand. But they, it's a way that they, they, can, they can show their power, show their worth. And they have a really hard time sharing with others. They have a really hard time creating that, that healthy church that says, oh, we work together. Not me working alone. Discipleship helps us know that because when we become, when we become more like Christ, you know what happens? Think about Jesus. Son of God. If anyone could have said, I can do it all myself, Jesus could say that. But he still chose to work through you. He still chose to work through those, those knucklehead apostles. He still chose to work through that early church. If Christ chose to work with other people, 
What makes us think we should be doing everything on our own? You see, in Christ, as we read when we studied Ephesians, unity can happen in two ways in the church. The first way is that Christ came and because we find salvation at the foot of the cross through faith in Jesus Christ, because he came and what he did, because of that, all man-made walls are torn down. Anything that we as humanity has built to separate us has been torn down. It's funny because sometimes in the church we know this. We know that Christ tore down the walls. We know that as in Ephesians it talks about the walls between the Gentiles and the Jews. We know that. We know later on when we'll look in a little bit at Galatians and we, and we see that he tore down the walls between the male and the female. He tore down the walls between not just the Gentiles and the Jews, but between the slaves and the masters. He tore down the walls and we as churches actually plan and make programs and give money to rebuild walls. Billy Graham once said that Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in the United States. Why did he say that? Because so many Christians were building churches around ethnic groups. I've asked a lot of people this question, people with PhDs, people who just have read their Bible from cover to cover, and I have challenged them. I've said, find, find somewhere in Scripture, convince me that we should build churches around ethnic groups. When the Bible gives the exact opposite message. Even within the church, we... We build programs when my wife and I were at Wedgwood Baptist Church and we had that tragic shooting. In a way, we didn't really know. Cheryl knew people because she, she was playing piano for the different choirs. I didn't know anybody. You know why? Because our church had set up in such a way that I went to a Sunday school class for parents with preschool children. That's all we knew. We didn't know anybody else. That's who we hung out with. We were rebuilding walls. And you might, you might go, well, you know, you didn't have to you know, stay behind those walls. Couldn't you have just gone and joined some other class? Yeah, I suppose I could have. But the point is that we structure our churches by rebuilding walls. Now, believe me, I, I know that there's an importance of having ministries that reach particular groups. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about a youth ministry. I'm not talking about a children's ministry or a senior adult ministry. I'm not even talking about language missions and language ministries in church. I'm talking about we as a church. What are we? Christ came to tear down every wall. 
Some of you might go, well, didn't that Chinese mission of our church become a church last year? Uh, yeah, it did. And when they asked me about it, I told them what I'm telling you. I told them I wouldn't stand in their way. But I also told them I wouldn't approve. Because it's not biblical. One thing, unity comes when walls are torn down. And when walls are torn down, leave them down. Don't rebuild them. The second thing, the way that Christ creates unity is he changes who we are. The reason we have a hard time having unity with others is because there's something about us or something about the other person that eh, just doesn't connect, doesn't mesh, doesn't work. But as we become more and more Christ-like, those things go away. Those things become less important. And sometimes it's not just differences. Sometimes it's, it's some kind of sin we're harboring in our lives. And as we become more Christ-like, that sin goes away. And we realize how that sin was dividing us from our brothers and sisters in Christ. In Christ. Christ has done so much and he's willing to continue to do so much. You see, when we can get that right, when we're all on that trajectory, where we're being discipled in such a way that we're learning that we're becoming more like Christ every day, when that's happening, we can have unity and it, we no longer look at each other and, and think that we see them as how old they are how much money they have, what their education level is. If Christ becomes more real and more evident and more alive in me and he becomes more real and evident and alive in all of you, then when that happens, you know what we're going to see more and more? We're going to see Christ in each other. That's why discipleship is so key, so important. The church, and as the Bible talks about the church, it primarily talks about the local church. It doesn't talk about some big universal church. Very rarely does it ever talk that way. It almost always talks about local churches in uh, different cities and parts of the world. The local church, if we're truly in Christ, we will reflect the diversity of our community. I had hoped to pull some demographics to let you know what our community is like. And honestly, our community is different. It skews older than most of the rest of the state. The kind of median age is like 44. I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands, but I wonder how many 44-year-olds we have here today. Reflect the diversity of our community. You see, because the more diverse the group, the greater 
the miracle of unity. If all of you were really cool, bald guys that like to play fantasy football, you'd all kind of be like me. Sunday morning, we'd get here at 7. We'd all go for like a five-mile run, come back here, have worship. I would say, oh, it'd be great. It'd all be just the same. All sing songs that we all like, the same songs. We'd even probably get a coffee maker out there, and everybody doesn't, you know, don't, don't like coffee? Can't come to this church. I'm sorry. You need to be more like me. And if you like Starbucks coffee, you can't come to this church either. You need to like good coffee. No, I'm kidding. Um, but you get the idea. That's not a great miracle, a bunch of people who hang out together, who all have the same interests, and who, who like the same things. That happens all the time. When I drive in, I see the guys training for the Honolulu Marathon, and they're religious. They're out there every Sunday morning because they have a common interest. God demonstrates his power. It's more evident. It's clearer when we are more diverse, when we have no earthly business being together. We have no earthly common interest. We only have the interest in Jesus Christ and the advancement of his kingdom. That's what Paul's talking about when he writes in Galatians 3, chapter 27, 28, he says, for as many as you are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Christ is what matters. Christ is what unites. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He could have easily added in there, and I think if he was writing to us, if there was, a, instead of the Galatians, it was the Wyalion um, letter, he could have easily said, age. There's neither young nor old. Whatever you see that can sometimes divide us. So a healthy church. A healthy church needs every one of us, every member, every Christian here to accomplish our purpose. And to accomplish our purpose, we have to be able to, to, to know our purpose. And to know our purpose, we also have to be equipped. And of course, that always comes back to discipleship. But it's not just that each of us accomplishes our purpose. That was never God's design, that each one of us would do our jobs. It is always that we would do it together. There's no place for, hey, let's just all divide up the jobs and everybody go do their job and then we'll come back together and, hey, job done. No. An essential part of doing God's work is doing it together. It's not just what we do. It's how we do it. And that is the first way that we advance God's kingdom. Is that we, not, we don't just do his ministries, but we do them together. The world looks, and they see something different. And when the world looks and they go, 
How can you hang out with those people? I can't believe you gave up your Saturday to do that. Why are you singing that song? You know the answer. You got their attention. It's because we're in Christ. God intended his church to be united through faith in Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit. That is the only kind of unity that he finds worthy. Why? Because it's the only unity that is eternal. It's the only unity that's based on his love. And it's the only unity that's truly able to embrace people from every culture. If we're all the same, it's too easy. It's not a sign. The world does a better job of that than we do. So let me connect the dots one more time. The Bible has called us to be diverse, and in particular, and we're going to talk about this more next week, it's diverse here in terms of our functions in the church. But to be diverse, we must be humble. And to be humble, we need to be more like Christ. And to be more like Christ, we need to be discipled. And to be discipled, we need to be surrendered. Oh, when this happens, our unity will be more than just a, let's not talk about the things that differ us. Our unity will be more than just a general agreement to get along. No. It will be all of us seeking after God, looking for ways that he would have us together advance his kingdom and serving one another. That kind of unity, that kind of unity cannot happen without Christ.